0: Welcome to, welcome to this lesson on the future future in the past.
1: is lane santa cruz your ward
2: one council member with your co-host liz soltero and you're listening to no tucson we started this podcast in response to our daily fight against covid19 and as another means to share information and resources with community and have dialogue about what is happening liz what do we have this week Today we wanted to to share about experiences that residents and community leaders here in Tucson have had with the City of Tucson's economic development strategy and more specifically the central business district or we'll refer to it as the CBD for our listeners.
1: I want to thank our our guests today, Raul Ramirez and Josefina Cárdenas. Thank you so much to the both of you and looking forward to this conversation. Before we get started, if y'all can maybe introduce yourselves, say a little bit about the communities that, that you represent and anything you'd like to share with our listeners.
3: We can start with you, Josefina. No, bueno, pues buenas tardes. Thank you very, very much for having this servant in mind. I'm not gonna say I represent, but um, I am a resident in Barrio Kroger Lane. I've lived here for over over 30 years, as well as the um, surrounding barrio where I was born and my father was raised. In in Barrio Crocker Lane, I, my concern is to preserve it as much as possible. I know with development, you can't stop it, but how do you integrate to benefit our people that have been here up to the seventh generation? And I I wouldn't want the complete culture or the families to be displaced. And that's what I have felt my mission has been. Gracias Josefina Raul.
0: Well, I'm a lifetime Tucsonian. I was born actually in St. Mary's Hospital, so it was (laughs) in Ward 1. (laughs) That was 75 years ago. And and, um, I've lived basically a little bit on the south side around uh, the Santa Rita uh, area and then also in Hollywood and then more recently in the Bricta area. I've been involved uh, primarily with uh, two organizations, two groups. Uh, One of them is the um, uh, Body Neighborhood coalition. And on that one, we've been working for the last three years on trying to deal with the issue of gentrification. And the other community that I've been involved with is uh, Menlo Park. I'm on their board and, I, and I've served two years on that board. And, um, you know, I've been concerned about the development that's taking place. I feel that it's uh, affecting the historic neighborhoods that have been here for such a long time. And uh, they're gradually disappearing and the culture is disappearing with them.
3: Gracias,
2: Raul. And we also have Jasmine Rucker from our Ward 1 team. Jasmine, um, if you can help just lay the groundwork and provide just a basic description of the central business district.
4: Sure thing. So a central business district is the commercial and business center of a city. Geographically, a CBD may overlap with the city center or downtown area, but the two concepts are separate. For our purposes, the CBD is a designated area where business incentive tools can be utilized to encourage investment and commercial development. For Tucson, the main tool that's used is the Government Property Lease Excise Tax, or what's referred to as the G-Plet. This tool offers eight years of tax abatement to a property owner if they're awarded it. Two weeks ago, the city held two public meetings discussing the possible expansion of the Central Business District, or CBD. As attendees of those meetings, would you talk a little bit about your impressions of how those meetings went?
0: I um, I attended the one on Saturday. That would have been on the, I think on the 15th of uh, uh, August. And uh, first of all, I was thankful for an opportunity because I I also learned some, and uh, some of the things that I learned was that the city has had 25 duplex, and they started back in 2012. And the other thing that was real interesting was that none of the um, projects have been for affordable housing. And the reason for that, they explained, was that the developers indicate that that doesn't pencil out for them. I'll defer to Asafina at this point.
3: I attended both. Both were very informative. Um, I need to give credit to the presentation. City of Tucson staff members are very wise in what they do and very, very respectful or considerate in ask answering it, our questions, which I always appreciate. But um, for me, it's it's disappointing that again they would want city would want to extend if there's still questions that need to be answered about the past. I I would like to know um. Has the central business district been evaluated? Has it been, has there been a study of the impact? What good did it do? How did it impact the surrounding neighborhoods, barrios before extending? Because what are we learning from the first one? I would want our city to ask, how do you feel? What, how are you impacting? What good is it doing to the residents, the regional people? of? of the neighborhoods
1: and barriers. I think you bring up a good point about the assessment piece and and having conversations with, you know, other folks in the county, how are we looking at the public health impact of our neighbors in that area to really get at the at this piece that you're talking about? Because of course the city's always gonna say that everything is beneficial. They're always going to say, look at the tax revenue, look at the, the wealth that it's brought. It's like, how do we legit get to the questions that you're asking about the, the impact on like maybe property taxes, right? For, for neighbors that are there, or what if rent went up for families and they had to move out? Just really kind of looking at the, the full extent of, of the impact, I think is really important. And I think super valid questions that that we need to be asking. So thank you for um, bringing that up. Uh, My other question for y'all is, so we know that there is a call out in the community to do a moratorium on the central business district and the GPLIT. I want to ask both of you, what has been your experience with developers who are using the GPLIT? Like, have you been part of those conversations and they've made commitments or, or not? And then what does it look like after the development? Did they actually benefit the community or was it just, just the development? And then what are your ideas to give the community more influence, these types of government incentivized developments?
0: So for me, the, um, there's two concepts here. One is a central business district and one is a Gplex, And really they're married to each other. And if you look at the definition, it's based on the state definition of blighted, and the blighted definition really relates to kind of the the condition of the neighborhoods, or the area, and they also you know look in terms of dilapidated uh, buildings and also then the health and safety of, of uh, residents and folks. And so what they do is that they use minority communities to meet the definition of blighted, and in doing that. Um, it doesn't benefit the minority communities because what happens with developers? This is what I've seen: is that they they cherry pick uh, locations, and and then the other issue that I see is that they ha- they have to show that somehow the city, and the state, and the county uh, benefit by it, and you get more out of it than you would if you had to pay taxes. In you know, other words, the eight years that's abated. Again, a lot of these programs really don't pay that much. So I I, I think there's there's a need to relook at the whole thing, uh, not only uh, how the economic incentives are, are, are listed, but did they actually do what they said they're going to do in, in terms of the money coming in? The people that should be benefiting, if they're using the, the metrics of the lower-income areas and the barrios, uh, there should be some, something they get out of it, they, and they don't. And I haven't seen anything because one of the things that's really lacking in Tucson is affordable housing. And yet none of the developers say, well, you know, we really can't do it because we can't afford it because it doesn't pencil out. But they have all these other economic uh, incentives that help them and yet they can't do that. So, uh, so really, honestly, I am in favor of doing away with the uh, central business district. And if you do that, then, then the g at least for the ADR abatement goes away. Now you might have the other ones that are still ar- around and that's the one for 25 years. But at least they pay something; they pay excise tax. So my vote would be to do away with it. I, I don't support it, and I think if we do that, then then we don't have to worry about a moratorium because it's already gone.
3: And for me, Raul would be: Do we have a chance to say and ask for it to not to exist, for for it to be not existing at all, or do we yes. compromise? Do we compromise with with the city so it can? You said um, the the Gplex and the central business are married. Then right. could it go? Could it go hand in hand and also enter the community benefit agreement and that the city makes sure that it is benefiting the community? Because in the first place, why did the the area become blighted? And I'm not. That's a nice word to use. I have also heard the use word "slum" be used. Right. So why did it even get become a slum?
0: In our honesty, I don't think we consider our communities as slums slum. or blighted.
3: So what did what would it take to be able to invest in those blighted areas? I mean, they think that the central businesses will do, but it's not being done yet. We can't see it enough. So where's the balance here? When can a, a balance come into place that everyone is winning and everyone is being invested in? Because if if um, businesses are getting a tax credit, the homeowners are not. So then who's who's investing into our school districts? I mean, taxes need to continue being paid. So I, I think it needs to be um, developed and thought about more you know, so before we can say destroy it, which would be easier to do, but do we have a win in that?
1: I can relate to all the different points that y'all brought up and, you know, share similar um, experiences and views as well. But also, like, what is maybe the solution? Because I agree we haven't, a lot of our neighborhoods haven't been invested in for, or, for decades or ever. Or a lot of our families couldn't take out a mortgage to actually buy the house and they've just been renting. So instead of looking at like, how are we really building up like capacity and wealth from within our communities? We think about, oh, we have to like bring something else in there, you know, to, to fix it. So I am also curious about how do do we maybe have incentive programs to help the folks who've had the hardest time to accessing wealth or accessing the, the opportunity and possibility of like owning their business or owning their home and having development centered around that so i'm i'm curious and i want to have these conversations you know with community members um because it's not affordable and i feel like we might be able to find some some solutions and some opportunities too
0: well you know i think you asked a good question elaine because you know i've, I've been i thought of that too you know the program that i always think about is the uh the Land Trust, the Community Land Trust, because you know in terms of uh, owning a house is, is usually is probably the American dream right there, right everybody wants to own the house and pass it on to your next generation and I, and i 'm aware you know and I, and I think it 's easier to depend on those things that that we have control over. you know the city of Tucson has a uh, uh, land that they own already and, and and I understand too that there's there was some interest also in purchasing land further down south, which is fine. But you have land in the in the general area, the downtown area, and also in the some of the surrounding areas. And I think that if somehow if some mechanism could be worked out where that land then would would go to the the land trust, and then the land trust could develop it, then I think it'd be easier for people to have ownership at some level. We should we should we should explore that. Does that answer the the need for housing overall? It doesn't. It's it's kind of it helps a little bit, but I don't know if it. There's so much need. I mean, the, the need uh, is greater than, than what can be provided, in my estimation.
3: And it's getting more. The need of housing is getting more. I live along the side of Cruz River. I can see the, the, the people walking to the river. And it's and if it's all ages and all diverse, and that saddens me because, I mean, I've stopped by even elders because they're walking to the river for a place to sleep. I think we also need to work on the word affordable because what can be affordable for for me might not be affordable for my neighbor. Or my neighbor, what's affordable for them might not be for me. I, I like the word that I learned from Karen Green. She taught me the word attainable. Attainable to me sounds more reasonable because I can attain it. And affordable, maybe I can't afford it. So maybe it's also the vocabulary that we use that could also help us convince, convince others to make a change and difference in, in what we are struggling with. And also um, the word slum, why would it even come up when, when our barrios are so unique and like council member has said that we need to invest in them? What will it take to be able to invest in them?
2: you, Josefina and Raul, because we're talking about yeah, slum and blight um a lot of folks also express their frustration of using those words to describe our neighborhoods. So thank you for acknowledging that and thank you for asking a lot of questions because it's a lot for us to think about as we continue the conversation. And so we're, we're in this pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about some some additional tensions or concerns you're seeing during the pandemic.
3: I think with development, kids slowed down in some areas and then others, it, um, they have slowed down and not being able to do their business. For example, there's across from from where I live, there was a virgin, virgin land of mother earth that no one had developed there that it was preserved a connection from barrio santa cruz to barrio kroger lane and it was all destroyed to build 12 houses well at the beginning of the pandemic it was stopped and it's hurtful hurtful the way the land is now And then there's the Tucson Hotel on the Frontage Road. They kept on developing and open during the pandemic. Not all of us were invited for their open house, which I could understand that was probably because of the pandemic. So they are open. So there's the difference. No, there's two different ones.
0: In some areas, the the development has slowed down, as Josefina mentioned, but for those other businesses that don't have, uh, for example, a GPLEX, uh, still have to pay taxes regardless, even though their business has slowed down or they might even close, they might still have to pay taxes or even rent. And for the, the folks that are doing the, the GPLEX that are funded, that are fully developed, they get that break, you know, so they don't have to worry about uh, for 80 years paying any taxes. So, I think it it creates an unlevel playing field. You could look at it from different sides. I mean, some people would see development as great, you know, and, and so, you know, they, they, they buy into the new urbanism. And unfortunately, I don't, because I see it hurting the barrios and communities of color in terms of uh, gentrification and displacement. But, you know, that's my strong bias. You know, that's some people would disagree with that.
1: Um, so... You know, my my last question, again, I want to thank you all and I appreciate your time so much and having this conversation, but I wanted to see if y'all had any final thoughts. Is there anything that um, that you want our listeners or, or myself um, to know and, and consider about the topic?
3: I just wanted to add to the word of, of gentrification because my body here is suffering from cultural gentrification, which I see it as a great difference because gentrification, I see it as, as a building invested and it's pretty and it, but the cultural just gentrification hurts deeply because even though the people can be the most awesome people coming into, into a barrio, into the neighborhood, the cultures still can end up different and hurt each other. So when we are in a central business district, and good things are happening according to economy. But different cultures are coming into the barrios and neighborhoods, even though they're blighted. The different cultures hurt each other deeply if they don't understand the original people that are there. Like Barrio Viejo hasn't been able to heal completely. So just to keep those in mind that, that it's deep, and I see our old pueblo, unique, a lot of history, a lot of heritage, a lot of love, a lot of passion. So I thank you, council member, for inviting this servant, and I'm honored with the opportunity and the blessing. Gracias. Dios los bendice.
0: And I endorse what Josefina said, uh, but I also have another area I want to talk about, and that has to do with water. You know, I think we forget that we live in the desert, and right now we're going through climate change and a great drought and the drought is really affecting the supply of CPA water, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to reach uh, below 1075, and that's, I think that's a cutoff, uh, and that's going to happen, and yet the water people tell us, oh, there's at least uh, 60 years of water, and they look at three sources of water, they look at the uh, the aquifer water and then the CPA water, but they're also starting to add into it the reclaimed water. Reclaimed water is basically sewage water that's treated. So they're combining those three and they're kind of making projections based on that, that we that were going to have water that we shouldn't worry. But I do worry about it because I, I don't know if it's totally safe. You know, They can take some of the contaminants off, but there might be other things that go in the water. And so the other side of it to me, means that we have to be vigilant in terms of the development that's taking place and that we don't overdevelop. And again, we live in a desert. We need to be conscious of that. And unless we do that, then I think down the road, and I'm not going to be around, you know, like I said, I'm 75, but in 50 years, you know, uh, some of your kids and some of your grandchildren will be around. And I think that now is the time to do the, the long-term planning. And part of that plan has to do, how much growth can we sustain? And also, I want to thank, uh, Councilman Santa Cruz and, and uh, Liz Otero. Jasmine, and thank you, Josefina, too, for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it, what you said about cultural gentrification.
3: Agua es vida.
0: Agua es vida. Agua es and it's vida. sacred. It
3: is
1: sacred. And I think some of the other things we were hearing some projections that the city's growth has actually been like under five percent but that it's been the surrounding it's been all the sprawl you know around the city that has really taken off and that's always very worrisome when we're creeping out you know and and devastating our environment here the the desert you know all the sacred plants and our mother earth as well so thank you so much for for acknowledging our our elements our spirituality our cultura. Thank you so much.
3: Gracias. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you all. Have a good
3: bye day. Bye-bye.
2: Thank Bendiciones. Thanks for listening to No Tuxon. Visit our social media, keep listening on our website, or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and in the know.
1: Shout out to Jasmine for helping us coordinate uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much for being awesome and so smart. We're so lucky to have you. You guys are great. Until next time. Peace. Bye.